Hey everyone, this is Mark Waldeck here, and I'm doing these new pieces where I take people's stories that I find interesting and I narrate them just for fun. And so I've got three stories for you today, and these are by a Reddit user named Wiccan the Lost Nomad. He reached out to me on Instagram and asked if I would narrate these stories. And so that's what I'm doing here. Uh, they were a lot of fun, some interesting characters here. So I hope you like it. And here we go. All he could remember was a bright light, then a pain in his hip so sharp and overwhelming that his world went black. He woke up only to find he was being carried. He tried to be discreet as he looked up at the person who was holding him. It was a human, a woman possibly. The face looked feminine and the hair, which was fighting its way out of a bun, was long. But that didn't mean that much, honestly. You're awake, they said. They spoke it in his own language, a tongue that he was forbidden to speak in front of the masters. It startled him. How did you know? He tried to keep his voice steady. He wasn't as successful as he'd have liked. I felt you move, and your breathing changed. What is your name? Where are you taking me? They looked down at him for the first time. Their eyes were a silvery blue. The infirmary? This confused him. Why? We're not on the same side. I have no animosity towards you. You are not my enemy. Your leaders are. They adjusted him in their arms. It sent a jolt of pain through his hip, but he bit back a reaction. Tell me, did you enter this war of your own volition? Was it what you wanted? He looked up at the strange and strong human carrying him, speaking his native, forbidden tongue. He was not the first one they had brought back like this, not by far. They knew too much, spoke the language too well. They had made a good point and they knew it. The masters had forced them to fight, he and the other slaves, to fight in a war that many did not believe in. But what they did believe in was punishment and execution. The punishment and execution carried out by the masters if they were to go against their wishes. They believed in being left behind if they were injured or dead. The proof being in the bodies scattered on the battlefields to be forgotten. They believed in survival. They believed in fear. No, he responded quietly. You were just another person doing what you had to do. You were fighting for your life, just like everyone else. I can't really fault you for that, they said. The tent was now in sight. What will happen once my wounds are treated and healed? The way I see it, you really only have two choices. The first one is that you become a refugee. You walk away and make a new life for yourself. You leave the war behind. Or the second choice, you become a rebel. You fight against your oppressors. You fight to liberate both our peoples. And this time, you're choosing to fight. They stood outside the infirmary's entrance and looked down at him again, piercing into him with silvery blue eyes. When you're in there, I want you to think about that. Think long and hard, then tell me when you've made your choice. Suddenly, they shouted something into the tent in a language he couldn't understand. A few people came out of the tent with a gurney. As his carrier lowered him onto it, he noticed that one of the medics was a Pertanti like him. As soon as he was on the gurney, the strange, silvery-blue-eyed human was walking away. Before he could even think about it, he called out to them. 
My name is Tenren. They stopped for a moment and turned their head back slightly, and then they were moving on once more. Who was that? He turned to his fellow Pertante. She smiled at him. That was Colonel Hardy. I've been serving under her since I was rescued like you. She always goes out there to help get the fallen to the infirmary. People from both sides. He looked at the human's form shrinking with the distance. A colonel? A colonel had brought back a soldier of the enemy that had wiped out half of the population of Earth that didn't evacuate. The enemy that was hell-bent on wiping out the half that remained as well. How were they so able to see past that? To even consider his worth as a person after what his people had done, forced or not. He felt that it may be that they wanted more people on their side, but he also felt that was only part of it. He was only in the infirmary for a few days before being transferred to a military hospital. The bullet had went through clean, only barely nicking the bone, but he needed to be treated further for malnourishment and PT. The masters didn't take good care of their troops, not so much that they couldn't function, but enough so that they would be kept in line. No, he thought, not their troops, their slaves. In the hospital, he was treated by most with a compassion he had never known, not from anyone but his parents. He was grateful, but baffled at the kindness of these strangers, people that his masters and former fellow soldiers were trying to genocide. He found himself mulling over the words that the human colonel had told him. They played in his head every day until he was finally stable. Excuse me, he called to the nearby nurse. Thankfully, the majority of them were equipped with two-way translators, so the nurse understood him and came almost immediately to his side. How can I contact Colonel Hardy? Were he some ordinary person, he would probably be laughed at for trying to contact a high-ranking officer, a practically famous one at that. But, given his status as a former Pertante slave, he was simply directed to a phone and given instructions on how to use it to speak to her. This had happened many times with others like him. Colonel Hardy had given refugees express permission to contact her, and she made sure that the staff knew it. The phone made an odd buzzing kind of noise, which he was told to expect. But then a voice answered, a voice he recognized. It was her. She said something that he didn't really understand, but he heard her say her own name in it. It's Tenren, ma'am, he replied. His nerves were overridden by a sense of purpose. Purpose other than just surviving and hopefully living to see the next day. Purpose for something greater than himself. He had found a cause. I've made my decision. I want to become a rebel. He had found something to believe in. The Agbran holds her out like she's disgusting. She kicks and flails wildly to little avail. The taller Agbran observes her and she stops. The two stare each other in the eye as she pants from exertion. You're a feisty little one, aren't you? He smirks. His expression changes quickly as she nearly leaps from the shorter man's hands, trying her damnness to scratch him or bite him or something. He jumps back in time to get out of her reach and she hisses at him. He then looks over at me. Why do you carry this pertante scum with you? He practically spits the words out. She's a child. She can't take care of herself. She has no one else. I try to keep my voice as even as possible. Even the juveniles are vicious, 
He stares into V's eyes again. Her hair obscures part of her face from me, but I can see pure hatred in her expression. Yeah, well, I chuckle darkly. She really doesn't like you. It's of little matter anyway. She'll be sold off to someone by the end of the week. People pay well for the younger ones, especially females. He smirked again. A lot of truly strange and abhorrent people in this world. But it gets me money, so I don't particularly care. You're not selling her, I growl, all evenness leaving me. I love that you think you have a say in the matter, dear. I admire your spirit. His smirk grows into a smug grin. I want to smack it off his face. The shorter man has to bring V closer to him, probably because his arms are getting tired. She stays still. Listen here, you scrawny, smug, ugly-ass pr- oh. I'm interrupted by the back of his hand cracking against my face. I can feel the impact cause my lip to split. Ezra! V cries out. It's okay. I'm okay, I grimace. I don't think you fully appreciate your situation here. He kneels down to be eye-level with me. Though I'm on my knees, he doesn't have to kneel too far. He gets inches from my face. You're the one tied up, unarmed, miles from town. I'm the one with the gu- <coughs> Suddenly, the shorter one screams. We look over to see V's teeth clamped onto his hand. I take the moment of distraction to headbutt the smug bastard in front of me as hard as I can. He reels back, stunned, but I grab him with my very untied hands and yank his gun out. The shorter man drops V to the ground, and I almost panic as he brings his foot back to kick her. Close your eyes, V! I aim the gun at his foot and pull the trigger. It hits. I aim at his shoulder and fire again before he even has time to scream. He tumbles backwards to the ground as the second shot connects. He howls, clutching his wounds. I push the taller one to the ground as well and level the gun at his head. How did you get untied? He scoots back, shock overtaking his smug face. The knotwork was sloppy, your ropes are bad quality, and you threatened my kid. I regain my even tone as I speak. You're a real piece of shit, buddy. You're lucky I don't blast you to hell and curb stomp your dead ass into the dirt. I'm just making a living, he trembles, looking at the edge of weeping. You could have picked a different profession, one that didn't hurt people. Please. If I see you again, I point the barrel of the gun at his arm. I'll kill you. I fire. He screams in pain, adding to the now whimpers of his companion. I stride over to V, who has her eyes closed and her ears covered. I kneel down and help her up. She struggles at first, but she calms when she realizes it's me. Are you okay? Are you hurt? I look over her. She doesn't appear to be injured in any physical way. She shakes her head, sniffling. She wraps her arms around my neck, giving me a tight but shaky hug. They hurt you. They hurt you because of me. She sobs. Oh no, baby. I hold her small body tightly. They tried to hurt me because they're bad people. But I'm fine, see? I'm okay. We're okay. I pick her up as I stand. I look over to the injured men before I leave them. I'm keeping this gun. spoke, it spoke, it spoke into my mind. Carol knows. She saw it, she heard it, she saw it, she heard it, she knows, she knows, I know, she knows. But now she's gone, and how convenient for it. 
Tim knows, but hearing it killed him, and his heart gave out, and his brain squished, and his skull melted out through his ears and his eyes and his nose. Oh, it wasn't pleasant. I'm the only one left, the only one left, the only one, only one left, only one left, the only one left is me. My head is splitting, splitting at the seams. I can see the light through the cracks of my skull, like a whole universe in my head, and it wants to come out. I want it to come out, get out, get out, get out, get out, get out. I was once brilliant, but it used my brilliance to birth something beautiful and terrible. Oh, Tim and Carol felt, and I am all that's left. I am the only one left to succeed. I wish I hadn't. Success is a terrible thing. I can feel it in my brain. I can feel my cranium cracking. It's growing big and strong. My baby is growing big and my strong. My baby, my baby. I planted a seed in my head and the seed is sprouting. It hurts, it hurts, it hurts. It came in the big light, a big bright light in the sky, but only we saw it. Only Tim and Carol and I, and it spoke to us in our brains and told us truths and information no human mind could handle. And we felt them put it in, and I felt it slither around in my skull. Tim died instantly. Carol, Carol couldn't take it, took a bullet to the brain, and I almost did the same, but I didn't. I was curious, and I regret it dearly. And now the baby's ready. It's hatching from my skull like an egg, and I'm fading away. It's looking at me. I swear, I see a smirk. It has no face, but it's smirking. But it has no face. But it's, it's smirking. But it has no face. It's... Something's wrong. Something's wrong. The light is dimming. Oh no, the baby's getting weaker. It's dying and getting weaker. I'm fading away and so is the baby. It's angry at me. It's panicking. The baby's dying and it can't do anything. And I'm dying too. I smile, and it's, it's infuriated. The baby is dying, and I can only watch. I'm fading away. I'm dying too. I failed. Thank God I failed.